after about probably a month and a half, it was like, oh, doesn't look like they really need me. Actually, this is going okay. So why reinstall myself if, if I'm not needed? The first month we actually grew, income grew, profits grew. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I'm away and there's, you know, profits and revenue have gone up. This is amazing. There was a message from the ops manager saying, hey, we just ran a leadership team meeting. We were discussing the problems that we're having. And I just want to share with you our short-term, medium-term and long-term goals that we've come up with on how we're going to solve it. Wow. And I, I remember just reading that and then reading the plan they had. And I just had the biggest grin on my face just going, how freaking cool is this? If you think about what is the value of the decision you make and the questions you ask, then it completely delinks it from time and hours that you put in. Because that was the thing I struggled with was, am I lazy? Am I, you know, there was guilt. There was guilt around like, you know, I've got my team working hard, like, and I feel like I'm not working that hard. Like, is that unfair on them? What's going on? And I really had to dig deep on that because I, I was truly having feelings of guilt. And I see you nodding along, like maybe you, you, you feel the same. And it was only when I truly accepted that the value I bring has zero to do with how much time I implement and invest and all to do with the quality of the questions and the quality of the decisions I make. Welcome to the listener to Entrepreneurs Rising. So great to have you here. Uh, this is our podcast, Carl Taylor, Peter Moriarty, where we are helping entrepreneurs grow. We are looking to rise the tide of all boats. We're looking forward to sharing our very unique entrepreneurial journeys with you. Carl, my co-host, is here with me. How are you doing, Carl? I'm doing amazing, Pete. Awesome. So thrilled. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the role of a CEO broadly, but from the perspective of stepping away from your business for periods of time. And I've got to say, this is something that I really admire about Carl. This is something that really inspires me about you, Carl, is your ability to disconnect yourself from the business. And perhaps that's related to this is not your first business. Like I'm still in my first significant business. It's very much attached to my ego and all of those things. But also, I think your ability to let your team do what needs to be done and really you know, remove the Carl from the business. Uh, and I know that recently you removed Carl from the business for an extended period of time. And that's where I'd like to start this conversation from because I think that's, it wasn't just like a couple of weeks, it was a couple of months. And it was without, it was without warning as well. There was no prep time for that. There was no, I'm going to India to find myself. It was, hey guys, I need this time. And I don't know when I'll be back. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to be back. And Carl's yeah. out. Yeah. So tell us, first of all, what started it? You know, why did you make this decision? And then uh, let's go from there. All right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of dot points I want to connect for this. But let's, let's start with essentially the, the, the eight months to, to this episode being recorded. So eight months, I think it was eight months, seven to eight months. It's all a bit of a blur in my head. But uh, basically, I had a long-term relationship, a six-and-a-half-year relationship come to an end, kind of unexpectedly, to be honest. It was a bit of a shock to the system. I was one of the first calls. It you, was, were. Uh, you were. You were in shock. I definitely was in shock. And I just was like, okay, when it happened and it kind of is like, all right, this is actually happening. I need some time and space. I got to figure, I just got to heal and work on me. I just got to go, okay, work through this. And there were a number of questions in my head. There were questions in my head like, you know, am I okay with this? Do I do I want to try and fight for her? Do I want to, you know, do I want to try and keep the relationship? Like there were all these thoughts in my head that I just was like, I need to, I need to figure this out. And so I just said to my team, I said, hey guys, uh, here's what's happened. And I just need some time and space. I'm 
just going to disconnect. I'm going to Thailand and don't expect to reach me. I mean, you might be able to reach me a couple of times, but in general, you should assume if you send me a message that you won't get a response. Wow. Uh, I trust you. I know that you guys have got this sorted. And um, look, if there's anything major, you know how, you know, you can hit me up on Voxer. There's ways you can make it aware that you really desperately need me, but I'm just telling you I'm going to be gone for, for a few weeks. And that's what I said. It was just a few weeks initially. That's all I thought. Every one of my control freak bones is tingling right now. <laughs> um, and so I did. I, 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 I stopped attending the team meetings. I still had Slack on my phone, but yeah, I didn't go to any team meetings and I went off to Thailand and uh, hung out with a friend over there. And then a few other friends came and joined us, which was great. And I just really focused on being present. I started listening to a lot more audiobooks and really just was working on me and ticking things off my bucket list was another big thing that I started doing. I started going, okay, well, what else can I do outside of the business? What had I been putting off in my relationship? And it was a lot of the bucket list. So I just started ticking that off. So I, so I have so many questions. First of all, have you been on other journeys like that before? Like, I mean, it seems like a bit of a, like, kind of like masculine man walking the world, you know, going and doing his, going and doing his journey to, to find himself a bit in a way. Like, have, have you done that kind of thing previously in your life? Not like this. No, no. Like, okay. I actually, on my flight to, was it to, it might've been to Thailand. It was on my flight somewhere. I read a book that a friend had recommended to me and it was a quite a religious book and I'm not a religious man, but in this book, he kind of talked about the idea of every man has a point where they kind of get put on this, this journey. Initiation is an initiation. Every man goes through an initiation. I remember reading that and just going, that's exactly what I'm on right now. This is my initiation. This is, this is the universe, God, whatever you want to call it. This is it saying, here's your initiation. This is where you're going to figure this thing out, really integrate a lot of stuff. And that's exactly what happened. A lot of my thoughts and ideas that were very surface level in my brain for the 10 years prior really got integrated into who I am now with the, the journey I've been on from it. And yeah, I mean, look, I've had other little times of, I'm going to try this. I stepped away from the business um, 2007, I think it was. Uh, I still had my IT business and I also had a gift basket business. So actually it was before the gift basket business. And so I had the IT business and I was going to do a around the world trip with my partner at the time. I was a pretty key pivotal part of that business. I was in business with my father. We had one full-time employee and I said, oh, I'm going, I'm, I'm going away for six weeks. You know, the business did okay. But uh, if you asked my dad, he would tell you a very different story. It was a very stressful period for him. <laughs> well, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm curious about. So uh, you step away from the business. Like, What were the things that you were doing day to day that may or may not have been done in the business? Like, Is there anything you were doing day to day or were you already in a space where it didn't actually matter if you showed up or not. And I mean like processing payroll and like clicking the button in the DNS that I don't know if your staff have access to your domain names or whatever, like what's the day-to-day -day stuff that may have been missed or at risk? Yeah, so so that's actually a good point. So I still was processing and I still do process payroll. So even with that eight months off, I was still the one that was like had to do the bank transfers. So that was once a month, send some okay, bank But transfers. you're not showing up to meetings? No. You're not solving problems for people? No. Providing strategic direction? Nope. Wow. And so what happened? Tell us. So in general, things were and had been fine. I mean, why, why is it extended to eight months is because after about probably a month and a half, it was like, oh, doesn't look like they really need me. Actually, this is going okay. So why reinstall myself if, if I'm not needed? The first month we actually grew. Income grew. 
profits grew and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I'm away and there's, you know, profits and revenue have gone up. This is amazing. Uh, over the three months, the first three months, the quarter of that, the first month went up and then this, the next two months were contractions. We hire churn, more people wear subscriptions. So churn means people have left the, the subscription. So our churn went up. Uh, our number of new members continued to, to be the same but we had a, a bigger spike in churn. So when that got reported to me, so that was the main thing. I was still getting reports from my ops manager saying, here's what's going on. Here's the report from our team meetings. I was able to at least ask the question and say, hey, I noticed that churn's really going up a lot. Like what's going on? And so just asking that question, you know, my ops manager would go off and do whatever and she'd come back and go, here's what we've talked about. And I still remember, I can't remember how many months in it was, but I remember... I had the biggest smile on my face. One day I checked Slack. So if you're not sure when I keep talking about Slack, it's like a chat tool that we use internally. It's our, our office. It's how we communicate with the entire team. And there was a message from the ops manager saying, hey, we just ran a leadership team meeting. We were discussing the problems that we're having. And I just want to share with you our short-term, medium-term and long-term goals that we've come up with on how we're going to solve it. Wow. And I, awesome. I remember just reading that and then reading the plan they had, and I just had the biggest grin on my face, just going, how freaking cool is this? I'm not even there. All I did was ask a question to highlight a problem that I could see that maybe they hadn't noticed, maybe they had, and then they're working together to go, all right, how are we going to fix it? And not just how we're going to fix it with a Band-Aid, but short-term, medium-term, long-term, here's what we're going to do. And I had, yeah, so much, so much gratitude and, um, to, to have that situation. But that's, I think, that, you know, we talked about what is the role of a CEO? What is the role of a leader? I truly believe that when you're at the position where you are the leader in your business, you know, you're no longer an operator, you have zero involvement in the day-to-day, -day. your value comes from asking questions and making decisions. That's it. I agree. That's it. I agree strongly. Asking questions, making decisions. Now, some people would go, well, how many hours do you work? To ask good questions and make decisions, I might do a year's worth and earn my keep, my salary, my everything by just making two or three really great decisions in a year, right? Now, I make more than that. If you think about what is the value of the decision you make and the questions you ask, then it completely delinks it from time and hours that you put in. Because that was the thing I struggled with was, am I lazy? Am I, you know, there was guilt. There was guilt around like, you know, I've got my team working hard, like, and I feel like I'm not working that hard. Like, is that unfair on them? What's going on? And I really had to dig deep on that because I, I was truly having feelings of guilt. And I see you nodding along, like maybe you, you, you feel the same. And it was only when I truly accepted that the value I bring has zero to do with how much time I implement and invest and all to do with the quality of the questions and the quality of the decisions I make. And that can be done from anywhere, can be done sometimes just over a quick message of voice or Slack. And actually the better state my head is in, the better, more peaceful and centered I am, the better quality my decisions and my questions are going to be. So actually the less I work and the less stressed state I'm in, the more value I actually bring to the business. I think this is probably one of the biggest fears for a business owner, full stop. And to the listener, I want to take you on a little journey. I want you to imagine it's 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. Your whole team is busy and you get in the car and you drive to the movies and you go and watch a movie. <laughs> And everyone just has all this fear rush up through their body, right? That kind of freedom and that kind of discipline to say, I will not be chained to my business uh, takes sometimes years of unwinding. I mean, it took me years to unwind that 
and I'm still uncomfortable with it. I still have a bit of that anxiety of like, oh, got to check Hangouts, see what messages might have come through from the team. I rarely work Mondays or Fridays at the moment. I'm down in a pretty solid routine for myself, which is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that's working well for me right now. That'll, I'm sure, modify and change. Uh, But for this business, that works well. I just want to put so much weight behind what you've said, Carl, is that your responsibility is to make good decisions, uh, ask good questions as well. There's one thing that I want to ask though, which always comes to mind for me, and that's that where is the role of strategy and strategic direction? Uh, You know, I understand and we're both big fans of the book, The Great Game of Business, Uh, you know, putting the responsibility of the business and the finances and, and fixing stuff in the hands of everyone and then rewarding everyone when the business does well. We, so we both have full open book management. If you haven't read that book before, The Great Game of Business, great book. But I'm curious, Carl, like surely the CEO has to bring some strategy to the table. What are your thoughts on that? And I agree. Yeah. And that's that's a distinction. Like I had this, this kind of model and, and, and framework I talk about about the, the entrepreneur journey and the different phases you go through from self-employed to manager, to leader, to investor. And that's one of the key distinctions between investor and leader. If you're a leader, you are the strategic visionary. You're still the one who is leading. So the CEO role. Right, you're exactly. The, you're wearing the hat of CEO. You're yeah. wearing the hat of CEO. You're the one that is, is ultimately making those strategic decisions. Uh, even if the team are coming up with the strategy and they are maybe empowered to certain things, there are still going to be certain things that either you override or you need to be briefed on before or, and you make the final call on. So overall, I'm still the one looking at the overall marketplace of where automation agency is. I'm looking at our competitors. I'm still aware of what's changing. I'm still, I still talk to customers, not because you know I need to, but just because one, I go to a lot of the events that my customers are at, right? And I'm constantly still within the digital marketing world. I'm still personally fascinated by it. So I love to go and learn and see what the latest things are. And so because of that, I have my ear to the ground about how the market is shifting. And so I'm still in certain communities, but to me, that doesn't feel like work because it's really, I'm there for personal growth and, and learning for myself. It just happens to have the side effect of this is useful for my strategic decision-making in my business. But yes, the role of strategic direction still comes from me. I have yet to, I guess, me build my own confidence and trust to bring in outside CEO. And that's the thing at the moment, at least, I feel like if I was to do that, it would need to be an outside CEO. And that kind of scares me because all of my top level managers, all of my like leadership team have grown from within. They've come on a journey yeah. from a lower level and they've come up, which means they have my culture. They have those things. I know in corporate, it's big and usual to just bring in an external CEO. That's kind of scares the shit out of me a little bit. Not in, not in small business land. It doesn't, no. it doesn't really work like that. The, the culture is too, too ingrained. I mean, I've, I've had successful executives join the business through acquisition recently that's worked well for us and so i think you know like anything in business you start with dating and then you move to engagement and then you get married right like you don't just like put up an ad on seek looking for a kick-ass ceo come and come and run the business here's the keys there you go some people uh, would. you know <laughs> some, some people would and look some people have put on like a you know a general manager in that way for both of us culture is really important and you know and we and we care less about you know just the dollars at the end of the day we really both care about contribution um sure we'll cover that in depth in an upcoming episode uh, on you know around motivation um, but that's interesting now I want to kind of circle back a little bit would you say 
that CEO role. And by the way, I think you're a bit further developed in your uh, founder entrepreneur skills, or, or, or let's say uh, founder entrepreneur energy and the difference between that energy and like the CEO energy. For yes. me, it's kind of like, it's a new thing to be stepping out of the business and managing other investments and managing other initiatives and businesses outside of my main. That's the new thing. I'm still developing that. I think you kind of float in and out of those different modes well. But I'm curious, in that period when you were out, um, you mentioned your operations manager was you know, doing a bit of feedback back and forward with you. Would you say that she took on like an interim CEO role or was it just a complete democracy between your leadership team and they just all worked it out together? Like did a leader emerge or was it everyone just kind of working it out? Um, we, we very much have a culture of everyone contribute. Like that's very much part of our DNA and culture. Like even for me, even if I've got an idea, I will never just come in and go, Hey, here's what we're doing guys. Even if I've made the decision internally in my own head, I still got to, I got to get buy-in. I got to get buy-in. Exactly. So I'll come in and go, Hey guys, like here's the problem I'm trying to solve. Anyone have any solutions and see if anyone, cause sometimes they'll have a better idea than I would anyway. And then I'll show my, here's something I'm thinking about. What are your thoughts? What do you, you know, what could we do better? Or do you like that? What, what have I not thought about? What are the challenges? So we've kind of, I've built a lot of that culture. Um, now our ops manager, Riza, she, she very much kind of took that leadership role because she got given that, you know, she, she was originally our HR manager. She was head of team development. And then probably, it was probably only like three or four months before the breakup happened, I promoted her into the operations manager role. It was still a fairly new role for her, but I could see that she had that entrepreneurial flair. She had the uh, hunger. Like she was on her own time outside of working hours. She was going and putting herself through marketing courses. She was, she was actively looking to consume and learn and grow. And it was like, okay, this, this is someone that I want to nurture and develop and she can bring a lot of value and I can continue to support her. And we had a conversation, even her and I, where you know, I said, I could see one day you'll go out there and run your own business. And I said to her, I said, look, you know, I fully support that if you choose to do that, but I'd really love to continue to work with you. So even if you choose to go and do your own business, I would love to either be an investor or somehow involved. And she came back to me and she said, yeah, you know what, Carl, I, I can see that, but I think I'd do a lot better and we'd, we'd get a lot further if we just worked together. And that was when I was like, okay, operations manager material right here. Yeah. It sounds like a strong integrator role. Totally. Very strong. Yeah very strong on the integrator. And that was a pivotal thing of going, okay, so she did have and does have full authority to make any operational decisions around, you know, who should get refunds, clients, do we sell this? Do we not sell that? Like she was able to handle all client complaints uh, between her and the client experience team. You know, client experience team knew, don't come to Carl with, there's this client who's unhappy, go to Riser and talk and she'll make the decision about what she'll do, what she won't. And and one of the things, I had an early conversation with my, my management team when I first kind of built the management team. I remember saying to them, I said, look guys, I want you to make decisions. I don't want you to run everything past me. And in the beginning, I had like a Google doc that was like, here's all the things you're approved to. This much dollars, refunds, all these kind of things. Here's a framework of what you are allowed to make decisions based on. If it's over these thresholds, involve me. If it's below, if it's within these thresholds, 
You make your call. Do whatever you choose and feel is right in the moment. And I said to them, I said, don't be afraid of making a bad decision because if you make a decision that I won't agree with, I will back you no matter what. Yeah. Right. You make a decision that even if I wouldn't have made that same decision, I will stand by you. I will back you. I will stick up for you if a client or supplier or whoever is not or a staff member is not happy. I will I will come to bat for you because I'll stand by your decision. And then we can debrief and we can look at the learning opportunities and we can talk about how in the future you might make a different type of decision. But I will never vilify you for the decision you made. Yeah, I only get pissy with bad decisions are repeated. <laughs> yes. Totally. No learnings have occurred. <laughs> or just the learnings are slow <laughs> at times. Yeah. Well, and, and look, I mean, that's that's true, right? Like sometimes these decisions are very costly and expensive, like thousands and thousands of dollars. I've had decisions. Mm-hmm. I don't, there's decisions that have been made that you're like, oh, that was not great. You should put that in the framework, Carl. No, uh, no decisions that will cost me more than five thousand dollars. But they don't, don't always know. Anybody. They don't always know what it's going to cost, right? That's the joke, Carl. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, what went wrong? You know, you mentioned Riser upgrading. Uh, you know, watching some marketing videos and those kind of things. Like, what what went wrong? Where were the areas that the team were maybe not competent? or they ran into issues and they've needed to sort things out? The key things that most went wrong, there wasn't a lot that went wrong, but there were a few things around, I guess, churn going up. And from my perception, at least, it looks like I was the one that had to ask the question to go, hey, you know, this seems to be trending upwards. Have we looked into it? What's going on? Right. So okay. there was. So, like financial oversight. So, no, no one else noticed enough. Well, they, yeah. And they knew they, were, they report on the numbers every week, right? Like so- they know that it's happening, but. It appears, at least to me, that no one stopped and said, hey, guys, this looks like a concerning trend. What are we looking into to fix it? Maybe we should do something about this. <laughs> yeah. 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 So there was that. So realizing that there was no one kind of going, hey, hold on a second, that looks like a red flag. But some of that comes from experience. People like you and I only know that it's a bad trend because of our experience. Others might, they just might look at it and go, oh, well, the number's just gone up a couple of people. Yeah, that's not a big deal. They're not aware of the trajectory and where that could head. Um, Well, I guess the one thing that we care about is the overall health of the organization. And so active customer numbers is our number one number. Like that's what we're looking at every single day. For someone else, they might not be looking at that every single day. Uh, But for us, that's like, okay, if enough customers go down, we die. Everyone's out of business. I mean, it's a bit dramatic, but you get the idea, right? Yeah, well, I'm, but I tell them that I, I you know, I, I paint the picture. I go, guys, you know, the reason the business needs to continue to at least, you know, continue to stay stable, if not be growing, is ideal, is that you want to keep your job. I want to keep you employed. <laughs> I want you to continue to earn money, and to that to happen, the business has to continue to be profitable. Because if the business is not profitable, working. what's the point of me running the business? You know? Yeah. And then you get into the not-for-profit space. <laughs> and I remember the first time I had that conversation with the team, I was shit scared. I was so scared mm. that they were not going to get it. But really, they got it. And that was the start of some of the shifts culturally, of, of at least in the management team and, and leadership team, really starting to go, yeah, actually, guys, like we need to be on top of these things. We need to try and implement these things. We need to improve these things because we all want job security. We all want to stay employed. We also want to get pay rises. Well, for pay rises, that means there needs to be increases in profit for there to be money to give you a pay rise, right? Like yeah. the things that you and I as business owners think about, the, the team don't always think about these things. And I think it's very easy as business owners to get frustrated going, oh, that employee or that team member just feels, it's just so needy or they just want this, but they don't have the bigger picture. Most employees think that the owner is killing it financially, absolutely making a 
a, a mm. cream and make and they're greedy. Some of them would would think they're greedy and they're making all this money. I remember when I ran through using a, a packet of chips. Actually, is what we used. I used the packet of chips to show this is all the revenue we collect, and then slowly took little bits of the packets of chip away. Of here's then cost of goods, and here's staff, and then here's marketing expense, and then okay, here's profit left over, and then we got the tax man who takes profit, and then <laughs> all that was left was a few crumbs. And literally, I remember one of my team members said. But there's so little left. I'm like, yep, that's exactly <laughs> how it works. So, okay, I've got about three questions that I want to ask you. All right, so I'm, I'm back into question mode. And I'm going to need succinct answers uh, because the episode time is starting to get to the close. Right. Something you shared with me a couple of years ago was that you shared with your team that the salary you were earning was, in your opinion, below the market salary for someone in your position. And so yes. that was a reason why the business needed to grow and why it was everyone's responsibility because you needed to be fairly compensated, right? That was, I loved that. And I shared that with my team at the time. And then something you shared, I think it was uh, last year, was that you had reached your income goal from the business. And so there was therefore no more motivation for you to grow the business anymore. And so if those in the business uh, wanted to have more contribution, have more salaries for everyone, have greater impact, then it was everyone's responsibility to make that happen. And I shared that with my team uh, you know, over the course of of us having those conversations. And they, they, those were two really powerful things. Uh, number one, that my salary was less than was less than a market salary for the position that I was in. And then number two, you know, basically the the kind of like I quit speech. Like, look, I'm happy with I'm happy with my income. Yes, below market, but I'm also happy with it. I have no motivation to grow this anymore. But you know, switching to more of a contribution type mindset. Thank you for leading. Uh, that was you know really really cool uh, for me personally and me being able to say to the team. Hey, look, we can, you know, we can affect more people, we can do more, we can employ more people, we can change more lives inside and outside our business, but it's going to require making more money. Anyway, that's not my question. My question is, what the hell did your customers think? You left the business, you're posting on Facebook about, hey, Carl's out of the business. You know, what happened there? Because I know there's like one or two stories and, and I want to hear how that went because that's another fear of mine you know and I like to be liked uh, you know being good standing I like to have a good image I think it would kill me to actually post on Facebook like <laughs> I've been out of the business for two months <laughs> yeah like I didn't really think about that strategically too much because I am connected on Facebook with a lot of clients and in particular there was one client who reached out and they were not happy they were having some problems in the business they, they were feeling not looked after and then they see problems with your delivery, not problems yeah. in their own business. Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Problems in the delivery of our service to them. And they saw me posting on all my like ticking off bucket lists and travel and looking like I'm doing no work because the honest truth is I wasn't. And they were like, the CEO doesn't care. Like the business is going downhill. They actually even asked me, had I sold the business? You know, the mm. message they sent me was like, have you sold the business? Because it seems like you, you know, you don't care and it seems like it's all gone downhill. And That's an easy stone to throw, though. You know, there's there's always an element of self-accountability for everyone. Similarly, I have a lot of old stories around wanting to be liked and caring what people think. And that was a bit of a kick to the guts when I got that message because I was just like, oh, my God, like I hadn't even thought about all these mess put things I'm putting on Facebook and what people might be thinking there and customers. Maybe I was like, and then I was the fact that I knew churn had gone up, I was like, Am I part of the cause of this churn? Are people leaving because of my Facebook posts? Like I, I don't have, there's a correlation there. I don't know causation is the same, but there's a correlation. And I started to go, oh shit, maybe maybe my Facebook posts are, are part of the, the churn problem. And maybe you should jump back in, cancel the holiday. <laughs> and, and, and so 
at the end of the day, I, I, you know, I reached out to that particular customer and, and I got on the phone with her and we had a conversation and we were able to resolve. And it, but what it really highlighted to me was it made me realize that ongoing with my communication, I needed to make it clear that while I personally may not be doing these things and I'm now publicly showing me doing other things, what they don't know is that even before I stepped away from the business, I wasn't really doing that much anyway, right? It just wasn't public that I was traveling because I was at home. Just got to look busy, Carl. Just like queue up photos of you like sitting at desks and, you know, typing furiously on your keyboard and just look fear, really, really busy. The fear, dude, is that the customer was, they were not feeling looked after. I'm not going to go through the number of reasons of, of what was going on. There, there was some mismanagement from the team around how they handled her. and But also, likewise, you say self-accountability of how well the reach out to the support networks that we do have were, were utilized. But the main thing was helping her realize that even when I'm not involved, the team is very much aware of the problem. Like that was the thing. There was a churn problem. You've got 40 people there. Yeah. Like, you know, the, there are ample people to help out. And the management team were aware of it. Like the leadership team yeah. was, that were trying to solve the problem. The challenge is when, especially a churn problem, like with our business, if there's a problem with speed of delivery or quality of delivery, those things take time to fix. They're not just like snap the fingers and it's fixed. And the, the, the thought, I didn't say this to that particular client, but I remember thinking to myself going, okay, the reality is even if I was more involved in the business, how much faster would this be being fixed? Like in reality, yeah. I had to ask myself yeah. that. Like if I was here, the problem would still exist how much faster could it have been solved? And that was actually why I ended up taking a trip at the end of last year to the Philippines and did a training. I did a training session with a small part of my team because it was from that conversation with that client that I was like, okay, what could I do that might help speed this up? Is there something I could do that might speed this up? And that's what, all right, I'm going to do some training with this particular team. So that came from that conversation. But in general, most clients didn't seem to notice. I actually had another client come up to me at an event and he said to me, he goes, oh, you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen you've been traveling. You've been doing all these things. Like I haven't even noticed a, a glitch at all with the business. Like I wouldn't have known that you've been stepped away. Like it's amazing. I, Cause actually I'd been interviewed. I spoke at that event and I shared about what had been going on. He, and he said to me, I had no idea. It was not obvious in the delivery of your service at all. And so there's these contrasts. So I think, you know, on that note, the getting support, you know, for those that are in service businesses to the listener, if you're running a service business, you would know the trap of, you know, being available to your customers, giving out your mobile number, oh, personal email it. address, don't all of those it. kind of things. It, well, it, that, is, that is a journey in itself in, you know, there's an episode yourself right there. as, as, there's a whole episode and we will do that episode for you because we've both removed ourselves as the go-to person from businesses that are still built on our personal brand, let's be real. And that is definitely important to have a personal brand led business. I mean, well, it's helpful for your marketing. It doesn't have to be everything, but it, it certainly helps uh, move things along. But it's, yeah, it's very interesting. You know, I, I always think of the analogy, like if a customer calls my mobile and leaves a voicemail on my mobile, and I don't check my mobile for three hours, but they could have called the help desk uh, or messaged the live chat and gone to my support team. Like, what is a better experience for the customer? And so I'm giving the customer a disservice by giving them access to me and some, you know, subconscious promise, uh, underhanded promise that I'm actually going to be available to them. Um, but anyway, I think we've covered the customer piece. It's it's interesting to see that, uh, well, it's great to see that you were able to resolve that. I think the difference here is you don't have to be reactionarily, uh, I don't know if that's a word, 
available to customers, but it is your responsibility to lead the architecture of customers getting good service. Those are two different things. Responding to things not going well, that needs to be someone's job, but also architecting the service so that it's actually delivered effectively and customers have the feedback channels and customers have uh, you know, ways of getting things resolved and you have a resolution process internally so that things work, like that is the responsibility. Now, you don't have to build it yourself as a CEO, but you have to make sure that happens in your business. And so if to the listener, you are having a lot of escalations, we call them in the IT world, that are coming to you. If you're getting customers that are emailing you saying, hey, what's happening with my project? If you've got, if you've got customers hitting you up on Facebook saying, hey, what's going on? And nor, neither Carl nor I are immune to those things. They come through thick and fast every week and that's fine, uh, but you need to have a process with dealing with those. And if you are getting them, it means that somewhere along the line of your process of delivery, things are not being managed well. Uh, but I have one more question for you, Carl. If someone is interested in taking extended leave for their business or just moving that seesaw a little bit in the right direction of more time freedom, like what things do you have to have in place in the business? Like what are the keys that you have to architect or build or have in place in the business to actually be able to do that? So you've got to have documented processes like that, hands down, like the core core delivery of what you do, customer service, like escalations. Like, I mean, really it comes down, I guess, where you're at in your business at the time. So a, a simple thing you could do is get a sheet of paper and just list down every single thing that you do right now, uh, whether you like it or not. Like what are all the things in a typical week or month? Or like if you said, I'm going to go away for a month, what are all the things that you would potentially be missing that you would normally do? And then do you have a documented process so someone else could do it? Do you have a person whose role it is to do that? Do you have to hire them or could someone existing take on that role now you've got the process? And some of them though, maybe you don't even need to do, right? Like maybe you're just doing it and it doesn't need to be done. That's really getting clear, I guess, vision on what you're going to be needed if you're going to take more time off. Like, let's say even if you started with, instead of taking weeks off, you just go, I'm going to take Mondays off. Well, what do you typically do on a Monday? And are all those things uh, someone else's, someone else could do or could technology do? I'm a big believer in automation. And to me, automation is about technology and it's about team, right? Some people think of automation and they just think of tech. That's all they think. And I used to be like that. I think of automation as just me not doing it. And that can be tech or it can be team, can be people automation as well. So it's really about installing automation is what you need to do. You, you very much need to install some automation in your business. And then that comes down to training the team. That comes down to having good documented processes. It has the right people doing certain roles and knowing what to do. And then if you're more at the level where the things you're doing is decision-making, well, then you need to have those kind of documented processes and guidance of what they're... And have the conversation with various team members about what they're authorized to make decisions on. Give them... Because sometimes I think it's easy as a business owner to go, why aren't they making the decision? I'm frustrated. Have you ever actually said to them, I want you to make the decision. I trust your decision-making. Here's what I trust you to do. There's a lot of power in that and giving that trust and endorsement to a team member. So have you had that conversation with the people you want to be making decisions? That They're probably the key things that need to be. I really love that you covered both process and people because the two have to work symbiotically together. You know, part of it is, yes, absolutely documenting the process, but also it's, I mean, and maybe it is still process, but having processes, frameworks, and an environment in place that allows people to make good decisions and to solve problems. Um, there's a couple of things I want to add a bit of color to, uh, my own little bit of color. 
um, Tim Ferriss has a really good framework for this in the four hour work week, which is doing a task audit, which is what you mentioned, writing down all the things that you're doing. Tim Ferriss's framework is next to each one, write down automate, delegate or delete. And that's really cool. So once you've done that list of tasks, you can either automate with people or, uh, or technology, delegate or delete is just stop doing them. Some things we just don't need to do anymore. And if you're interested in doing a task audit, one of the apps that I really love is called rescuetime.com. And what that does, it throws a little app on your computer, tracks what you do all week. And at the end of the week, it lets you know where you spent your time. So it might be four hours on email. It might be 10 hours on Facebook. Uh, you know, It's quite confronting the first few weeks that it runs. And uh, I've been using that little app for about eight years. Every Monday sends me a report on my week. And and uh, one of the cool things that you can do is after you've like optimized your time and got all of the like really bad things off your plate and delegated them out to the team, then you can start optimizing on how little work can I actually do each week? How little time can I spend in front of the computer each week? And if you can get that under 20 hours, like you're doing pretty good. And so I've had that under 20 hours consistently for uh, probably a couple of years now. And, uh, and I feel really good about that. And it's not rocket science. Uh, you know, there are challenges around what stage of business you're at and as the business matures. And, you know, as we've talked about in this episode, the CEO role, you know, never really completely disappears. There are, there are always things to do. There are always thinking things to do. You don't always have to put in an eight hour or a 10 hour day. There are always responsibilities. It doesn't necessarily mean there are always activities, but focusing on your skill, flexing that muscle of delegation is a really important one. So I think there's, you know, five stages of delegation or seven stages or whatever, you can Google it and, and you know, kind of look through some of those guides there. But being good at that process, as Carl said, if you have a framework that you can create, which is like, hey, you know, I want you to do this thing for me and I want you to make the decision. There's a process of getting there. The first is, all right, this is how I do it. You could watch me. The next one is, okay, we will do it together or collaboratively. The next stage is you do it and I'll observe. And the final stage is, you know, you just do it and just send me reports and just, you know, kind of let me know that it's done. Uh, maybe level six is like, I don't even have to think about it anymore because it is just done. And so that's a, that's a process of getting good at that. Uh, and I think that's probably the, the number one job of the entrepreneur as your business grows and scales and you add more resources if that's what you need to make more things happen is just continually taking off those hats. Hat after hat after hat after hat is being taken off until eventually you kind of end up as a, you know, like a board member advisor advising and then, you know, potentially you put in that CEO, right? Uh, who then comes in and, and runs the business. And then your job is to manage managers. And if you've got investments and you've got three or five different companies that you own, if you want to go that way, then you have CEOs of each of those and that's the team that you're managing. You know, if you enjoy leadership and many people, you know, didn't necessarily have leadership as their like, you know, top 10 jobs I want to do when I grow up. Uh, but many uh, entrepreneurs are at least natural leaders, like you kind of you kind of have to be, then you've got that skill of leading and uh, and that's what you've got to do. You've, you've got to lead. You've got to, you've got to step up and I think there's honor in that. It's worth mentioning that leadership is a skill, meaning it can be learned. It right? absolutely can be learned and improved and it, it should it, be improved. Yeah, like, you know, when you get to that stage, especially where you now have managers in place, it is now about leading and really ensuring that you because there's a difference between leadership and management. I think it's really important if you're not aware. Yeah. Like when I realized that I'm a great leader and I'm a terrible manager, life got a lot easier because it meant that I knew that I needed someone else or other people who could manage people. 
Like I have a team of 40, but I only really deal regularly with about three people. And then my bigger leadership team, which is about what, six, seven people once a week. But like day to day, if I'm talking to someone, it's it's really a combination of three people who are either on my client experience team or my um, operations manager. That's who I interface with. The rest of the team has got others who are communicating with them and they're managing them because, and when I do meet with the bigger team, all I'm really doing is leading, inspiring, connecting and getting to know them as a person and helping them feel valued. And how can we as a business support them? Like I'm not concerned on, did they click this button and how are they performing in their KPI on their role? They've got other leaders who are in, in managers mm-hmm. responsible for that. So if you think that I'm, a, I'm not a good leader, you can learn those skills. I was not a born a good leader in my opinion, but it's something that you develop and learn over time. And if you find that you're better at managing rather than leading, own that. Or if you realize you're a better leader and not a good manager, own that as well. Just have the self-awareness to know what you're good at and what you're not. And don't try and don't try and fix your weaknesses. There's a lot of people who talk about fix your weaknesses. I think that's stupid. Like play to your strengths and hire other people whose strengths are your weaknesses. You know, pay attention whether it truly is a weakness, but I don't know, just it doesn't make sense to me to go and try and improve something that I'm not great at rather than maximize something I'm already good at. Yeah. I think that's an, probably a nice spot to end. I've got a, a really quick final thought. And that is know what fires are okay to let burn. Uh, it's an important mm. quality. If you're you know, trying to completely control everything, you'll never have the bandwidth to actually do that leadership piece. And you'll never allow people to have their own lessons and everything else as well. Uh, Carl, this has been really awesome. I've enjoyed sharing this. Do you have any final thoughts you want, to, uh, you want to share before we wrap up? I love that quote of know the fires to let burn. I think that is a really important point is to be okay with the fact that there will be fires still burning. And that's making those strategic decisions about where do you focus your attention and realizing that the value of your attention is a currency in itself and you want to not waste that and spend that wrongly. So that's that's my wrap Ooh, up. That's powerful. That's awesome. Okay. All, uh, all the show notes will be available on rising.show. Thank you so much for joining in to the listener. We appreciate your investment of your time. I hope this will bring you ROI many times over and we look forward to having you along for another session. Ciao, guys. See you later.